Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and his brother John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, do not be afraid. And they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And they were coming down the mountain. Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come? And he replied, Elijah is indeed coming and will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that, that, he, was, that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. Let us respond to this word of God with a responsive reading together. Reveal your presence to us this day, O God of light, love, and glory. As you did to your servants at the foot of the mountain, send your spirit to show us your story. I noticed something this week. Baseball season's back. <laughs> Actually, I noticed it before that. But baseball season's back. But I noticed something about it in particular. It hasn't been going the way we thought. <laughs> in fact, if you're like me and you have frustrations over football and basketball, lots of people have been saying, yep, but baseball season's coming. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I mean, there's been great anticipation because those programs, yeah, they're okay. But baseball, we've been anticipating baseball because something amazing happened. In fact, we set an attendance record for opening weekend and lost two of the three games. But before that tragedy of that weekend, and even Friday night, by the way, um, before that happened, though, we won a national championship. It's all right, right? We won a national championship. That's pretty amazing. That is something that we have not seen at Mississippi State, what, ever? Right? And what I noticed last year after that happened was the attitude in Starkville changed, right? People are walking around, they're wearing their gear. How fast did the T-shirts sell, right? How, how many people bought copies of the newspaper? Look, it really did happen. 
The whole attitude of Starville was transformed by a baseball team that pulled off the unthinkable. We've always been pretty good. We've always been looking forward to baseball. It's like, we'll, be, we'll have a good year. We have a good team. Well, our goal is Omaha, you know? Well, now that we've won one, the goal is it, Omaha is no longer a goal. It's a given, right? We're going to be in Omaha. We'll see you in Omaha. Okay, yeah, we lost, but we'll see you in Omaha. It's a given. So our expectations have been transformed because of one national championship. We can't lose to Long Beach State. I mean, <laughs> that's what's happened, right? But, you know, it used to be like, well, I think we'll do okay this weekend. We're like, we got this. Everything about how we look at that program has been transformed and changed. And Omaha is no longer just a goal. It's a given. Why well, don't look at Matthew 17 because this transformation has something for us as well, too. This is Matthew 17, the first three verses. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up onto a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured by, before them and his face shone like the sun and clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Have you ever wondered why Peter, James, and John? Have you ever wondered why Moses and Elijah, out of all the people who have lived, why is it Moses and Elijah? And out of all the followers that Jesus has, and even the 12 disciples, why Peter, James, and John? When I read scripture, I get curious about things like that. I don't know about you. I kind of wonder, like, how did they get picked? <laughs> you know, what did the other disciples say about that? Why do they get to go, you know? But there's this huge transformative event that happens in front of them. A part of Jesus' revelation is unveiled in front of them. The way he is going to appear when he returns, they get a taste of it. Bright and shining, overwhelming, powerful glory. If it's Peter, James, and John, and Moses, and Elijah, maybe it's not, this event is not for Jesus. Jesus knows who he is. He knows who he is. The disciples are meant to be witnesses. It's really for them. This happens six days after he tells his disciples that the authorities are going to kill him. You know, they're expecting Messiah, kick Rome out, take over, reestablish the kingdom of David. When's that going to happen? They ask him on a regular occasion and Jesus pulls him aside one day and says, yeah, they're, they're going to come get me. It's going to happen. So maybe they needed a taste of what's coming. Maybe they needed to experience just a taste of what they have to look to because their hearts were sunk. Maybe Jesus knew that. Maybe he had just, he knows he had revealed that. Maybe he knew that had taken the wind out of their sails. And so the timing is, I'm going to encourage them a little bit and let them see what's coming. They're there to witness. Now, if you're Peter, James, and John, and you go up on a mountain... And God reveals himself. This starts to sound vaguely familiar. If you're a good Jewish person, this sounds like an event that's happened before. Moses took Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu up on the mountain right before the revealing of the Ten Commandments. And God's glory was revealed to them on that same mountain. The covenant with Israel was established and the Ten Commandments were given. Perhaps... When they experience this, they're going, hey, we're, we're, 
we're dabbing Abihu again. Like this is happening again. This has happened before and it's happening again. We're on the mountain with Moses. So they, could, they would be, this event's like that event. And by the way, that's not the only one. 1 Kings 19, 11. Elijah has an on-the-mountain encounter with God. Now, Elijah has his, he takes out the, the worshipers of Baal, has, a, has, his, has his championship moment, if you will. But then Jezebel says, we're going to have you killed. So he runs for his life and falls into great depression. God leads him up on the mountain. And, so, and this, is, this is what happens in verse 11. He says, he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, the sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And there it came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So Elijah has a mountaintop experience with God, a personal encounter with the presence of God. Moses had a personal encounter with the presence of God on the mountain. Now I think we know why it's Moses and Elijah having an encounter with God on the mountain. This has happened before, and it's happening again. And Peter, James, and John get to witness it. They get to see it, and they get to see Jesus revealed in his, a piece, a shadow, a brief moment of his incredible glory. God established the law with Moses. This is, why this, is why, this is where this event comes, comes to like a, a climax, if you will. God established the law with Moses. He used Elijah to call his people back to the law. That was his role as a prophet. And in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law. So you've got the establisher of the law. You've got the prophet who has called his people back to it. And the one who is promised who would fulfill it on top of the mountain. This event is like those events for a reason. To remind them that God has been doing what he's been doing and he is still doing what he's doing and he's going to do what he's always done. The plan is not over. It's still in play and Jesus is the one that matters. Look at verse 4 of chapter 17. Peter gives a Peter response to this experience. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here if you wish. I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I think Peter's heart's in the right place. I think he understands the magnitude of the encounter for all the reasons I've been talking about. But he makes one mistake with that response. He's elevating Elijah and Moses to Jesus' status. Hey, we're going to make three tabernacles right here on top of the mountain for the three of you. Once again, Peter has adventures in missing the point, right? I mean, the whole purpose of this is to reveal Jesus to be who he is. And Peter goes, yeah, but we, we got the three dudes here. This will be great. We'll hang out with you all the time in the tabernacle. You know, Peter. I think that's why God then in verse 5 
gives his response. And And when I say God gives his response to Peter, I don't mean Jesus responded. I mean God responded. Look at verse 5. While he was still speaking. So he didn't even let Peter finish his little diatribe here. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. From the cloud, a voice said, this is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. Emphasis there. When the disciples heard this, they fell on the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came, touched them, saying, get up. Do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Now, Peter, hey, let's build three. Nope. Interruption. (laughs) A great cloud on top of a mountain. There's another callback to what's happened before, right? When Moses goes up to receive the Ten Commandments, he is covered by a glorious cloud. It's happening again. And then God's voice, not Jesus' voice, God the Father's voice says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Does that sound familiar? We've got a little bit of a reset here, don't we? After Jesus is baptized, that is what the voice of God said as well. So Jesus started his ministry with that pronouncement that this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I know you've been discouraged by what Jesus told you, but this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. (laughs) Emphasis being it's Jesus. It's about Jesus, not about Moses and Elijah. It is Jesus who fulfills the law. It is Jesus who was glorified before them. It is about him and him alone. Make sure you get this. Listen to Jesus about it. So he's drawing his attention back to Jesus. And then there's the future. Look at verses 9 through 13. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he replied, Elijah indeed is coming, and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him and did whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. Elijah came as a prophet. Elijah appears on the mountain with Jesus. So maybe the disciples were confused. Hey, it's almost it's time. Elijah's back. Jesus is about to establish his kingdom. And Jesus clarifies for them. Elijah did come. And the future Elijah came, but they treated him like all the other prophets. That's why they knew he was talking about John the Baptist. And then he reminds them again, the son of man is going to receive the same treatment as John the Baptist. He reminds them once again that it is he that is going to suffer. What's interesting about Bible prophecy, though, is it's happened. And sometimes when the writer writes a prophecy, there's a piece of it that gets fulfilled in the past. But there's an aspect of it that has not yet been Fulfilled, And this prophecy is like that. Elijah came as a prophet. Jesus has come after John the Baptist is his Elijah, right? Making the way in the wilderness. Turn me to Revelation 11, 4 through 6. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. Anyone who wants to harm them must be killed in this manner. They have the authority to shut the sky so that no rain may fall during the days 
of their prophesying, and they have the authority to turn the waters to blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Now, who is he talking about? He's talking about two witnesses at the end of the days, right? Two witnesses. One has the ability to make it stop raining. That's what Elijah did. The other has the ability to turn water into blood and to bring plagues. You know, like Moses. So what do we have here in the future, in this Revelation prophecy? Who's back? Moses and Elijah. They came and they're coming. And they're preceding the one who's going to come in glory. So this prophecy's been fulfilled, they're on the mountain, but the prophecy in Revelation is going to be fulfilled when those two witnesses are once again there. Now why does that matter to us? Why should we be looking at this? Why does this even matter? What is this event for? I mean, it's a random event. Jesus is walking around in his ministry. Hey, let's go up on the mountain. I'm going to show you something. (laughs) Right? Remember, it's not for Jesus. This whole event is for the disciples, to which Jesus then turns to them and says, by the way, you can't tell anybody. That's not great marketing, Jesus. We should set up a tent. Oh, wait, that's not what we're going to do, right? That's kind of how this played out. We should let the whole world know. There should be a tabernacle here. They should come and worship you. Not yet. The Son of Man still has to be delivered into the hands of the enemy. But their expectations that day, I guarantee you, were transformed. They went up on the mountain, maybe discouraged, maybe wondering when Jesus was going to be Messiah. When was he going to do what he's promised to do? And they came down the mountain, sworn to silence about the reality of a transformed and glorified Jesus who is coming. Their expectations were transformed by glory. And our expectations ought to be transformed by that same glory. If we know Jesus, if we've encountered Jesus, if he's revealed himself to us and we are in relationship with him, then eternal life is not a goal. It's a given. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for being who you've always been, for your faithfulness, for your power, and for your glory. Let your presence around us and your very special presence within us transform us to be who you have called us to be. Make us more and more like you each day. And speak the hope in our hearts of knowing that we will one day be transformed by glory too. In Christ's name, amen.